You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcasts with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about Safe Haven Sunday. We hear a reflection on St. Francis of Assisi, and we listen to a classical guitar piece called Campanas del Alba by Eduardo Sanz de la Maza, played by Kyler McGillicuddy. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd. And And with me, as always. I was waiting for the lead in. With him, as always, me. And now, Father Steve. Boy, I'd love to just have a... A podcast about football right now because as a football fan for my entire life rooting for the Detroit Lions it has been not purgatory it's been hell well okay I, I'm just gonna say I'm very happy about the Lions showing up this year yeah but as you may recall I'm a Spartan man well that is a purgatory it, it is again mm-hmm. but the Lions has been for seemingly ever yeah, I remember the 2008 season where we went winless, the only team ever to go winless, and I kept saying... That's a certain kind of point of pride. <laughs> I, I remember we saying... We are the best <laughs> at being the worst. I remember when people were like, why are you still turning these games on? And I said, there is going to be a time in my life. I don't know when it will be. I might be, be old and dying. It will be dying. sweeter because this has been... But they will be better. good. And at that point, I can say I was with them throughout um, the whole witness. And, and frankly, this is a metaphor for the faith, right? Mm-hmm. There are low points and there are high points. And just stay with it, people. Stay with it. <laughs> stay with it, Lions fans. So yeah. this is we're recording this the day after they, uh, they beat the Green Bay Packers on uh, Thursday Indeed. night. And, so. At Green Bay. Yeah, and Lambeau. So, yeah, I'm sure there are some of you that don't care at all about the Lions, but this is a big, big, big deal well, for me. And, and, and frankly, the fact is, we, we talk about it as if we care. We don't either. But if the options are winning and losing, we prefer to win. Yeah, sure. I have a lot of friends in, in Wisconsin and in, in the Upper Peninsula that root for Green Bay, and I've had to just be at their mercy for years. So it's kind of nice that they're just being quiet now. Well, it's interesting. So we just had a convocation. Uh, we're recording this Friday after the convocation, and one of the speakers was Father Sean Kilcauley, who mm. came uh, in, I think, January and talked about pornography, and he just talked to the priests about the challenge of, of addiction, really, any kind of addiction, not just... Uh, sexual addiction, but addiction of any kind, and, and how it's uh, trying to answer uh, emotional sadness with uh, positive sensation. Mm. So it can be music, and can be YouTube, it can be anything. We're trying to take the sadness away by pushing some stimulus or some substance into our bodies. And it really made a lot of sense. But anyway, the reason I, I connected him to the Detroit Lions is because he had his Detroit Lions bling on. He grew up in Pinckney. <laughs> yeah, he did. And uh, he's been in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, But he was going to watch the game yesterday with his, I think, sister or 
brother-in-law, I can't remember, maybe a sister and brother-in-law in Pinckney. And uh, so they had a, a win to celebrate together. So let's talk a little bit more then about convocation. You just spend how many days, three, four days? So we, we gather um, Monday evening and then we've got it's a social evening, the bishop talks on Monday evening. And then Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning and Thursday morning, we have some formation. So there's usually two talks in the morning, then we have something called potpourri, which is a, a bunch of different things that sometimes updates about this or that. This time we talked about some of the initiatives at the diocesan level. And then uh, um, Wednesday morning, two talks, and then uh, Thursday, one final talk before we have a final mass and then come back. And on Tuesday, we had a, an individual who works with... Uh, dioceses and religious communities and priests and religious about boundaries and making sure that we're maintaining wise boundaries for ourselves and just to keep people and especially children safe. And then uh, Father Sean Sean Kilcauley came and talked about uh, addiction and sexual uh, sin and just a call for us to deeper conversion, but also, especially Thursday morning, uh, to give us some tools to help those in the confessional and, and others to protect uh, children and uh, to bring healing. Mm. One of the things he said that was sobering is, is if, if exposure to inappropriate dark material of a sexual nature occurs before 12, which is increasingly common, Yeah. It is really hard without help. And mm. he means therapy and yeah. or group to get free. Oh, interesting. And it's happening so oh, often yeah. younger than 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a sobering thing. And I think that's why it's good that we've got an event that we just celebrated this past week, uh, Safe Haven Sunday. And maybe talk a little bit about what you understand Safe Haven Sunday to, to have been for. Where did that come from? Was it at our diocesan level? Was it a, a broader initiative, Rich? Sure. So uh, people may have heard of the um, organization Covenant Eyes, which is some filtering software. And it also, um, it kind of was, from my mind, the first organization that tried to break it open the isolation of pornography use. Because we all know, like the devil loves the darkness. So if you can get you caught in a sin in the dark, he's got you. Yeah. But the minute the light starts to come through, that's when you can overcome that. So what they tried to do is have you identify certain people in your life that you trust and they trust you, um, that they would get reports about your internet usage. And so if you were to fall into the pornography use. They could have a conversation with you and, and, and kind of give you some accountability. Well, in response to the United States bishops, I think it was in the year 2016 or 2017, they wrote a, a very beautiful document on uh, pornography. I recommend anyone to read that. It's What's a, the title of it? Um, you know? Creating Me a Clean Heart. It's it's written at a very accessible level. You don't need theological training to be able to read the document. But uh, in response to that document, Covenant Eyes, which is uh, based in Owasso in our own diocese, they started kind of a Catholic branch of their company um, with particular outreach to the the Catholic um, parishioners. And one of their flagship programs was this idea of uh, Safe Haven Sunday. So. There's a line in that document that says that the home should be a safe haven from pornography use. 
And so the Safe Haven Sunday is just, it's a very, um, it's a simple kind of day. It's a diocesan-wide, so every parish in our diocese will be marking Safe Haven Sunday, or I guess after this comes out, maybe we've already done that. Yeah. Um, and the idea is it opens up some space for the pastor to be able to address it with his people because sometimes this is a topic that doesn't maybe naturally flow out of the Sunday readings, which is what the priest is supposed to be trying to preach on is the Sunday readings, but with some um, availability from time to time to preach outside the direct message of the readings. So it opens up a, a space for him to be able to speak to his people, either in the homily or the bulletin. Um, but then it also is a chance to offer some resources and formation to parents about how they can better protect their own children in their own home uh, from the scourge of pornography. And so uh, when people come to Mass, uh, we'll have booklets um, that will be available for um, one per family. And it's just got some very like very simple information, uh, some background, and then some very concrete steps that families can do to begin to make their home a safer place. Yeah, and I I just want to encourage, uh, based on what uh, Father Sean said to the priests, uh, you know, you can be doing everything right, but you cannot control uh, the input that your children have when they're ever out of your sight. And you might say, well, then I'll always keep them within my sight. Yeah, well, that's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. And and so one of the things that, that he talks about is Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, which is... Yeah, little, it's a great book. It's a great book. And the basic thing is to, if you see bad pictures, close your eyes. Yeah, come tell me. Come tell me. Yeah, it's a great... So in case people don't know, what the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a children's picture book that's meant to be read with the parents. The parents sit yeah. down with a child... Um, I think the ages are like five and up. five to seven. Yeah, yeah. five. That's uh, when you start. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a a younger version called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior, okay. which I think you can begin at three, so it's a little bit even more step down. Um, but the idea is, I think I forget what the statistics are, but um, generally the first person that introduces the top idea to the child has the best chance to form the child and how to think well, that's about what, it. That's what Father Sean said. He says, the culture and the internet are racing to be first. Yeah. You ought to be first. Yeah. I mean, and we've seen this with the way children's programming is oh trying their hardest to introduce sexual ideas to our kids. I mean, my wife and I have gotten to the point where if a show has was created after 2014, we it's just not an option. We're yeah, not putting right. that on in our house. So... Uh, so that and, and, and let's just just acknowledge that that makes it harder to be a parent now than it was prior to 2014. If that's the if that's the window of time, because mm-hmm. that was when Obergefell came. It was right? just before. All right. Well, in any case, uh, this is hard. so we need to depend upon other people to say this is safe, this is not safe mm-hmm. for our kids, and and I'm not uber safe, but when we're talking about the imagination, the innocence of children, I think we have reason to be uh, eyes wide open to the dangers that might come. Yeah, and this isn't about being Puritans. No. This is about recognizing that there's a certain amount of psychological maturity that needs to take place before these types of of ideas or 
um, entertainment imagery, etc. I'm not saying that pornography is ever a good idea for anyone, but certain um, depictions in movies or things like that can be okay, uh, depending on what exactly is depicted, etc. So the idea is like we need to protect the child's ability to be able to take this stuff in and understand it until they are psychologically mature. So things like good pictures, bad pictures is a tool that parents can use to begin to introduce. Because, I mean, you, you think, i got to talk to my seven-year-old about this? Well, you it, know, thankfully, yeah. it is, is generic enough. Yeah, that's right? the, so you're, it's, you're not very, it's very kind of low threshold. It just is meant to... Like you said, like the the advice that's given to a child is, if you see something like this, what are the three steps? Close your eyes, um, verbally declare this is a bad picture, that's right. and then come get me. That's it, and that's all you got to do. But the book helps, so mm-hmm. uh, I recommend that book. But um, yeah, so the, the the Safe Haven Sunday booklet, it's 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 actually going to be an annual event, and each year builds upon the other with new kind of. Um, tools and information. And things one like of the that. one of the things that that uh, just thinking of Covenant Eyes and other you know filtering software, <clears throat> none of those are fail safe. And the, mm-hmm. the danger is children and those who are not so young uh, figure out how to break uh, the the filter, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they, how to get around it. And uh, Father Sean said, "I want to come up with an app that the whole point." is to get around the filter. And then you get confetti and it says, you broke the filter. <laughs> that's it, right? So that's satisfaction. You don't get anything, you don't get anything illicit. It's just the satisfaction. And uh, he would say there are some people who are so wounded or so dependent upon some addictive uh, positive sensation that they need help. And filters uh you, you almost have to use them and then you realize that they can't help because they're not enough. It sounds to me, based on what he said and the, the point of the 12th step is, the key is to actually be talking to someone about what's going on, not in the mutual accountability. We're both stuck. Let's be stuck together. Yeah. But somebody who can actually help you remind you that you want to be free to receive the Lord's love instead of to satisfy it. It could be pornography, could be alcohol, could be food, could be binging on YouTube, could be whatever it is. We want the real thing, not the pseudo good. And so reaching out, he says, if, if you're not calling somebody when you're tempted or when you're in a vulnerable point, you're most likely going to give in. And one of the challenges is that the people want to give in. Yeah. <laughs> we actually like sin. Yeah. And uh, so I, I do think his, his insights, and he was the one who recommended the Good Pictures, Bad Pictures book, and uh, he's been trained in that area. And some of you will recall that we, we talked about um, his presentations in January of this past year. And in the bulletin, I'll put a link on uh, in the bulletin about the materials where you can go and watch some of his talks. Mm-hmm. Because the fact of the matter is it's no longer a question of if your child is going to be exposed. It's a when question. I mean, right. I was exposed to pornography before the, you know, I'm old enough to remember a yeah. childhood before the internet. 
And I got exposed to pornography without the internet. Well, and, and one of the things that he said, and there's a lot of shame attached, and a lot of parents, they feel like, all right, if, if my son or my daughter is exposed to, to pornography or something illicit, then it means that I failed. No, it means the world is broken. Mm-hmm. And please do not reproach your children for having dealt with yeah. this. Hopefully they can come to you without shame and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. I, it, it is an urge to you know, look at these bad pictures. Uh, it is, there is something enticing about it at, at a very carnal level. And so for parents not to be uh, ashamed of their own quote-unquote failure because they didn't protect their children, we can't. Yeah. Your point is well taken. It's not a matter of whether, it's a matter of when. Yeah, and you know, I try to think of it like uh, if, my, if my child was to break their arm, I wouldn't sit there and yell at them and blame them for breaking their arm. I would rush to help them, to give them the aid and work towards their healing. We need to think about um, inappropriate exposure in the same way because it's a wounding that happens that's not their fault. Uh, I think like 99% of first exposure, the child was not looking for it. Well, and, And so some of you who are listening might be trapped in an addiction of various kinds. It might be, might be pornography. So what we would invite you to do is to be merciful to that 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, however old you, old you were when you first got exposed. It was probably somebody else, maybe somebody older, who initiated you in ways that bound you very early. So be gentle with yourself not reproach yourself because the evil one uses the reproach to make you feel worse about yourself so that you have a, a negative emotion so you want to make positive sensations. Mm-hmm. It's just this cycle yeah, yeah, yeah. of addiction. Yeah. yeah, it's a nasty downward cycle, especially if it's done in secret. Absolutely. And you don't have somebody speaking into it. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be uh, an event that we're going to do. And like I said, it's going to be uh, an annual event. Uh, at the diocese, we've been... Um, there's been a lot of uh, requests, I think, from the parish uh, since I've been at the diocese that we address the pornography issue. We were a little bit um, taken uh, by uh, the question of marriage preparation and getting that right. And then uh, right when we were starting to work on pornography, Prop 3 came up last year. So we got a little bit behind. But this is part of a, a more comprehensive plan that we've got over the next five years. Uh, We're going to be hopefully getting some uh, specialized training to our Catholic um, charities, agencies, Mm -hmm. on specifically dealing with pornography addiction. Um, We're going to be working on uh, with our schools, hopefully, to just kind of examine how how are our filters and things like that in the schools um, uh, to make sure that that's a safe haven as well. Um, But yeah, we're looking at a whole kind of plan, and this is really the first step um, so that we become better as a diocese on, number one, protecting our children, but number two, being ready to heal them uh, when yeah, they're absolutely. exposed. And I, obviously, you know, we can talk about filters not working perfectly well, but that's really for older students. So, so just to protect your, your children and not to have them have devices in their rooms after bedtime. Oh, yeah. You know, just that yeah. those, are, those are some basics that uh, uh, your, your kids may balk at. They may say, that's so mean. Well... Uh, they will thank you yeah. when they can see clearly that you actually were protecting them. 
you wouldn't let your children have a firearm in their room by themselves. Uh, so why would you? No, you or know? or a uh, a companion that means uh, ill of them yeah, for them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that uh, uh, just thought it'd be helpful to to talk a little bit about. Uh, we've got strategic planning days for the deanery, and uh, we're we're looking here in Lansing at at some possibility of collaborating even across deaneries um, with especially youth ministry. So do pray for that. Uh, I've been talking to Father Jim Rolf, who's the head of what is called the Western Deanery, which is IHM, St. James in Mason, uh, St. Peter's in Eaton Rapids, Cristo Rey, St. Mary's, St. Michael's, and St. Gerard. So that's the Western Deanery. And uh, um, you already know that I'm dean of the Lansing Deanery, which is kind of central Lansing and then going east all the way to uh, to Williamston. Anyway, so Father Jim and I have been talking a little bit uh, about collaboration, and we, we've decided, actually, Lansing Catholic purchased the old St. Casmer campus, their office-slash-rectory, their school, and the old church building, and they're going to be using that for outreach and some youth ministry, gym use for practices during busy seasons. And Father Jim and I are going to be moving into uh, the the old rectory office. And we're hoping that maybe two other priests will move in as well. And we'd have room for five mm. guests, either priests or seminarians at times. And we'd be able to have interns stay with us. And um, I'm looking forward to that possibility of being able to model uh, for either priests who might be assigned there or deacons who work with us or uh, seminarians, what priest uh, fraternity looks yeah. like. Yeah, so. I think that's really helpful. Um, you know, you you priests were, were ordained as celibates, but weren't ordained as um, hermits. That's right. And so communal life is a, is a, is a good that... Um, you know, we talk about maybe some of these sins that can happen in secret, not necessarily pornography, but, you know, a lot of times it could be, well, could be alcohol. alcohol absolutely. And when you're living with somebody, it's much harder to sin in secret <laughs> because yeah, there's just some built-in economy. And I, I think what I'm uh, looking forward to is is being able to host um, other brother priests and uh, just to have that opportunity for that campus to be used again. It was yeah. sad when yeah. the, the parish closed. And so do pray. We're hoping to get into that rectory by the end of October. We've been doing some renovation on, very minimal renovation on the on the building and uh, uh, looking forward to, to that. And eventually when I've moved out of the, the rectory on Jerome, we'll, we'll put that up for sale. Yeah, I think that's great news. Um, yeah. I didn't mean to just focus on the sin stuff. Uh, I think it's also just no. good to be a full yeah. human being. You absolutely, know? absolutely. Yeah. Well, but but let's be let's be candid. Uh, the fact is, if a priest is living on his own, uh, the possibility of either becoming a hoarder, <laughs> right? yeah. which mm-hmm. as has happened, sure. I'm not a hoarder. Uh, but uh, to it just uh, requires something of you when right. you're living next to somebody, you know, well, yeah, and, and more maybe, generosity. People more. have heard me say, you know, I can be a jerk and I go to bed by myself. <laughs> no one says, you know, you were a jerk today. <laughs> we don't have a wife yeah. uh, to, to help us there. Mm-hmm. Not that not that any other priest would treat me the same way that a wife would treat sure. a husband, a husband would treat a wife. But there is a sense in which we are for each other. Uh, we are meant for the people of God and we can help each other as iron sharpens iron. Yeah, 
it's good. It's good news. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to share this week? Well, just uh, do pray for us as we we continue to strive to support families. Uh, we we met recently as various councils and commissions. We want to be attentive and responsive to the Lord promptings. So. Uh, uh, we don't have all the ideas, but the Lord has everything that we need. And so let's depend upon that. And one other, just encouragement to keep praying for the synod on synodality, which mm-hmm. is going on in Rome right now. All right. Amen. Okay. For another week, this is Rich. And Father Steve. God bless. One of the most famous and well-loved saints is St. Saint Francis of Assisi. And the following reflection from Sean O'Neill we discover the character of the man, what we can learn from his life, and how we can apply his wisdom to our own journey along the road to holiness. St. Francis of Assisi St. Francis of Assisi is one of the most venerated saints in Western Christendom. He was born in 1181 and was one of several children of a wealthy Italian merchant and a French mother. His father, Pietro, was in France on business when Francis was born in Assisi, and his mother, Pica, had him baptised as Giovanni. But when his father returned to Assisi, Pietro took to calling his son Francesco, which means Frenchman. As a youth, Francis was of a rather romantic frame of mind and he idolised the troubadours who would travel the countryside singing songs and reciting poetry for the gentry. Francis was also adventurous and liked to live the high life of the wealthy. He was often to be seen roaming the streets of Assisi with his friends, making merry and indulging in lavish banquets where food and drink flowed as though there was no tomorrow. Around 1202, he joined a military expedition against Perugia and was taken prisoner and spent a year as a captive. He got sick and during his illness he began to re-evaluate his life. Three years later, Francis left home to enlist in the army of Walter III. It was then that he experienced a strange vision which forced him to return to Assisi and lose interest in the worldly life. Thereafter, he began to avoid the sports and feasts of his former companions. He had a further vision in the little church of San Damiano, where Christ appeared to him in an icon of the crucifixion and said to him, Francis, go and repair my house, which, as you can see, is falling into ruins. He took this literally and began to set about the task of repairing the dilapidated building where he had seen the vision. He took some of his father's wares and sold them to supply the necessary funds for the building work. Unfortunately, this did not go down well with his father, who set out to punish him. Nor did his newfound habit of wandering the streets of the city in rags, begging for scraps. The tension between him and his father reached boiling point and Francis eventually left and continued the work of repairing churches that had fallen into ruin. He also nursed lepers, provided for the poor and associated with the lowly. This lifestyle that he had adopted attracted some ridicule from the citizens of Assisi, 
But there were also those who were drawn to that way of life because of the radical poverty that Francis espoused and his insistence on prayer, penance and charity to the poor. Within a year, Francis had 11 followers. The brothers lived a simple life in the deserted Lazar house of Rivo Torto near Assisi. But they spent much of their time wandering through the mountainous district of Umbria, making a deep impression upon their hearers by their earnest exhortations. In time, the Order of Friars Minor, as Francis named it, grew considerably and had provinces in France, Germany, Hungary, Spain and even farther afield. The order was ratified and given canonical status by the Pope and it was well regarded by all who came into contact with the humble friars. Francis himself grew in holiness and there were many miracles that he performed in the course of his ministry and apostolic work. While he was praying on the mountain of Verna during a 40-day fast, Francis is said to have had a vision on the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross in 1224, as a result of which he received the stigmata. Brother Leo, who had been with Francis all the time, left a clear and simple account of the event, the first definite account of the phenomenon of stigmata. Suddenly he saw a vision of a seraph, a six-winged angel on a cross. This angel gave him the gift of the five wounds of Christ. Francis suffered a lot from the physical effects and pain of the stigmata and received care in several places to no avail. His health also deteriorated due to the fact that he undertook intense and lengthy periods of fasting. In the end, he was brought back to a hut next to the little chapel of St Mary and the Angels. Here he spent his last days dictating his spiritual testament. He died on the evening of Saturday, October 3rd in 1226, singing Psalm 141. When you read accounts of the life of St Francis, Some writers make him out to be a soft, sentimental but holy dreamer who drifted through life half in this life and half in the life of heaven. However, he was, in fact, a man of tremendous courage, humility and determination. He was also very realistic about what it took to follow the Lord in a radical way. His uncompromising approach to pursuing the path of holiness in his own life and his empathy for those who were suffering shines out like a beacon and tells us something profound about the way we should be leading our own lives. When we look at the person of St Francis of Assisi, what we see is a man who was wholly dedicated to Jesus Christ, a man who would not let anything come between him and his beloved Lord. He was deeply aware of his own sinfulness, despite what we might think of his undoubted sanctity, and to that extent he had true sight. As St Paul says in his letter to the Romans, chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. St Francis insisted that any goodness in him was the result of God's mercy and grace. He rejoiced when he was reviled by people. He sought out humiliation as though it were a blessing. How different that attitude is to what our own approach can be. We often avoid the affliction of humiliation and much prefer to be praised and looked upon with respect and even reverence. 
St. Francis would certainly have found great solace in the litany of humility, where it says, in part, From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being honoured, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, O Jesus. Francis knew that he was approved of and affirmed by his Saviour, Jesus, and therefore had no need of the esteem of other people. There's a lesson here for us. How much do we truly know and appreciate the great love that God has for us? Is that what defines us rather than the passing opinion of those around us? Do we really find our identity in the fact that we are beloved children of our Heavenly Father, or are we desperately seeking approval from our parents, our siblings, our friends, our co-workers, our boss, or those with influence or power? Another aspect that marks the life of St. Francis is the fact that his dedication to the Gospel was complete and radical. He shunned the world with its pomp and with its obsession with wealth and prestige. He was careful not to place himself in a position where he might be tempted to sin, either through lust, pride or anger. Can we say the same about ourselves? Do we toy with the things of this world that draw us away from the life of holiness we are called to? Let's think about the life of St. Francis of Assisi. Not all of us are called to a life of celibacy and evangelical poverty, but all of us are called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Let's take some time to reevaluate how radical our lives are in the light of his example. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in your servant St. Francis of Assisi, we see a shining example of the kind of life that is possible if we can only relinquish our hold on the things of this world and enter into the joy of a life lived for you. Help us to examine our lives and make a firm decision to follow you more fully and radically. Give us the grace to pattern our way of living after the example of this your saint, St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. Amen. We finish this episode with a classical guitar piece called Campanas del Alba by Eduardo Sanz de la Maza, played by Kyler McGillicuddy.
hope you've enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelansing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelansing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.